Hello and welcome to the Sunset Series. My name is Nathan Malol and this is podcast number five, I believe. It's already number five. Wow, this is transitioning quite quickly, but it's great to see a lot of you tune in and you're enjoying the podcasts. I've had great feedback as well as constructive criticism, which has been absolutely incredible so far. Uh, so today, our podcast actually has the first guest and she is here sitting right next to me in her <laughs> lovely floral dress <laughs> <laughs> and so her name is ellie hicks she is a first year american studies and criminology student at the university of essex i am second year so we have met each other once yeah I think once, once. twice yeah and so what we're going to be talking about today if you've seen on my instagram or my snapchat or wherever the hell you have me is ellie's experience of talking to inmates on death row and I've been fascinated with this topic for a very long time and it is an absolute pleasure to have Ellie here. So I'll hand it over to her to introduce herself. Well, yep, as Nathan said, my name is Ellie. You don't have to always second name me either, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> um, it's quite a spicy subject. Not, not many people do it, I suppose. It's quite a niche little market. Um, I've been doing it for about near on six years, I think. Yeah. Are you coming to the anniversary soon? I think so. I think I started it quite close to my 18th birthday because yeah. I didn't want it to be weird for grown adults talking to children. And I feel like there might be sort of a grey area there anyway. Do so you I think? I think so. I think a lot of websites that sort of set um, people up with pen pals in prisons, you've got to be 18 for obviously... I see. For those reasons. Gotcha. And how how do you get in contact with these people on death row, these inmates? Um, so I started through a charity. I actually started through watching a documentary years and years ago on BBC iPlayer. Sort of shameless plug there. Um, <laughs> it's called Life and Death Row, if anyone wants to watch. Big up the BBC. Yeah, always. <laughs> um, and I sort of reached out to someone that was on that programme and one of their pen pals sort of contacted me and said, look, I'm, I'm part of a charity called LifeSpark. We set people up with inmates on death row as pen pals. Um, we're always looking for more, obviously more people to set up with them because you don't get it very often. Um, so would you be interested in sort of contacting more people? Because obviously you're talking to my pen pal too. I was like, I would absolutely love that. So I've got a few through that charity and they do quite well good work if anyone wants to sign up to that life spark life spark life spark cool and you can uh, i assume find that on on google yep uh so life spark is a company uh is a movement against the death penalty you can find them on www.lifespark.org and they have the history frequently asked questions you can become a member events and projects essentially um a, it's a non-profit organization and they are based in Switzerland. They essentially arrange partnerships with inmates on death row, as you've mentioned. Yes. Cool. Um, so for people who maybe don't know what death row is, um, it's a place where inmates are housed and essentially they are waiting to receive the death penalty for committing a capital crime. And capital crime, as you've discussed, is murder, correct? Yes, You so you can't be sentenced to death for anything, in the US anyway. Mm. Um, other countries around the world are obviously quite different. Um, but it's just murder um, in the States. It's usually with an aggravating circumstance, depending on the state. So it could be with kidnap, it could be with sexual assault, it could be with treason, it could be robbery, it could be, it's it, basically anything. Um, it's also quite, heavily introduced when the victim is sort of an important figure so like um an emt a police officer prison guard or a child is quite common as well gotcha that makes sense and it's i've read uh, i've read as well online that a lot of states in america they have their own prisons for men and women separately for inmates awaiting execution yes so for example florida texas california they those three states alone they house over half of the inmates on death row and I believe there's over 2,100 or 2000, over 2,050 and the fact that those three states house over half the inmates is a crazy number. Yeah. Do you have any experience of talking to any inmates from either one of those states? Yes, all three. All three. Um, oh, I don't speak to anyone from California anymore but that is the most heavily populated death row state I suppose. Um, but they, they don't execute people as much 
as Texas do, which is known as the death penalty capital of the United States because they house so many and they sort of churn them out and execute quite a few. They're like the top for that, which isn't great. Um, I've actually spoken to quite a few from Texas and a couple from Florida as well. That's incredible, wow. And I assume both dark and light stories. I suppose, I, I've sort of become desensitized to it. Have so you? I, yeah, oh. I, so I, nothing sort of phases me anymore. So I call, I, I'm not phased by, I, I call it regular murder. <laughs> so <laughs> regular murder which Why isn't do you call it regular murder because i don't see it as that bad as other cases so i've obviously spoken to a range of different cases but um there was one where he i think killed his wife because she was cheating on him and i see that as regular because it's quite like an everyday thing um whereas gang shootings and making a body count competition I don't see that as regular because it's quite out of the I ordinary. see what you mean yeah <laughs> I see what you mean it can, it can kind of it can come across as dark in a way because yeah. you make it sound like regular stuff like it happens every yeah. day oh, same old thing but no it is um, US has a higher crime rate I believe than the UK itself so the fact that you've spoken to these people and you've understood that they've all gone through different things and they've they've committed crimes based on morbidity, based on the actual uh, crime they've committed is quite harrowing in a way because yeah. of, and the fact that you've become desensitized to it is it's shocking <laughs> in, in a sense. That's crazy. Yeah, so sort of nothing bothers me anymore. Um, I think the, the, I don't know, the worst things people have done, it doesn't sort of phase me. It doesn't make me like shocked anymore. Mm. So I, I feel like that could be good and bad um, good because it allows me to speak to anyone and not have that judgment behind it and be sort of narrow-minded into believing that I only sort of speak to innocent people, which I don't. Gotcha. Um, but I've yeah, I've just become desensitized to all crimes. It doesn't sort of phase me anymore. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. I don't imagine how I could ever be desensitized to crimes. Like speaking to murders, murderers um, fascinates me. It's a crazy thing. Like. You're speaking to people who have literally committed a crime, like murderers. You're actually speaking to an actual murderer. That is insane. Yeah. I would, I would give anything weirdly enough to speak to Ted Bundy or, or Ted Bundy or John Gacy or um, anybody who's been on death row though that is notorious. But you've had experience. You know firsthand what it's like. Is it as daunting as people make it out to be? No, I find it easier speaking to these people on death row with their experiences than sort of real life people. Ah. So I'd find it easier talking to those guys than I am to you today. Really? <laughs> Absolutely, wow. yeah. This must be quite nerve-wracking. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, I also realised on Google when I was researching, I was looking at a couple of different um, statistic websites. Mm -hmm. As of October 2020, there were over 2,500 inmates on death row. Mm -hmm. Of those, over 1,000 were white and over 1,000 were African-American. That mm -hmm. is a very high percentage of just two races on yes. death row. How do you feel about the incarceration of those, of those members who are of those races? How do you feel about that statistic in general? It's, I'm, I should be shocked, but I'm not shocked because of the state of America these days. Um, and you, everyone knows how sort of racist they can be. Um, and it is obviously disproportionately applied. Yes, to and disproportionately biased as well. I yes, absolutely. I think it's you're four times more likely to get the death penalty if you are African-American than you are white. That is insane. Yeah. And that applies to the southern states, I, I assume, more. Heavily. Texas, heavily. Mississippi, Alabama. Yes. Yeah. Georgia, especially. Georgia, Georgia as well. <laughs> Jesus. I was. I looked at the state of Georgia, how many executions they've had. They have, I believe it was the second largest, or fir first or second largest um, execution rate, as well as Texas. Mm. And they're both in the south. Yeah. That is absolutely insane. There were, in 2017 there were 23 executions. In mm -hmm. 2018, there were 25 executions. In 2019, there were 22. And in 2020, there were 17. Mm -hmm. So arguably, 
that number is decreasing. So it went 23, 25, 22, 17. Mm -hmm. Arguably it's decreasing, but do you feel it's decreasing at a steady rate or is it decreasing in a way that it should or can it be improved? I feel it's it's decreasing, which is always a good thing. But I feel like it could be decreased a lot more. But I suspect with current political turnover, um, it will decrease even more because I know that the president, Joe Biden, did not support it. No. But obviously, um, during Trump's last remaining days, he pushed for quite a few federal executions um, after a 17-year hiatus. He thought, like, as his last little push of power, he put through as many as he could. And now with a Democrat in power, it's a completely different story. Yeah. And how do you, how do you see, through a visionary perspective, how do you see, with Biden in power, death row being? What do you see with death row, um, with Biden in power? Hopefully, all states are abolishing it. That's the end goal for me, because I, I do not believe in it. That's why I do what I do. Um, but I'm hoping that it will get abolished in all states. And it, slowly it is. I think Nevada's just passed through a bill that will um, stop executions, which is pretty good. Um, it's slowly getting there. But I think with the southern states especially, they will sort of fight for it because it's heavily yes. part of their culture. Nevada has in fact passed a bill on Tuesday that would abolish the death penalty. Um, that was on, oh sorry, I say Tuesday. This podcast is going to go out um, in about a week's time. So this was on April 24th, uh, oh God, April 14th, sorry. <laughs> um, on April 14th, it was written that the Nevada Assembly passed a bill on Tuesday that would abolish the death penalty and retroactively convert all current capital sentences to life without parole. <laughs> so they would receive a life sentence instead yeah. of going to the have yeah. a death penalty. Yeah. Okay, and Nevada's also ha Nevada also has 70 people on death row but has not executed anyone since 2006. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about these places that have death row but they don't do anything with the with the prisoners like they just keep them there just waiting like sitting ducks yeah how do you feel about that i think it's pretty torturous it's you're being told you're going to die but you don't know when which i suppose is part of the ordeal of their punishment their crime but it's either you're going to die or you're not i feel like you should be but with all the appeals and everything you there's obviously you wait on there for so long mm. um i know people that have been on there for 40 years i know people that have been on there for six or seven and they've got execution dates before people that have been on there for 40 years it's just it doesn't it doesn't really make sense but i suppose it depends how your appeals go and if you actually take those appeals and it also depends on the state i guess that's interesting you mention it's it's come a long way in terms of appeals mm -hmm. when the uk had capital punishments before um before it was abolished in, the procedure was inmates were given one appeal and if the appeal was granted it was then sent to the House of Lords and if they granted it then it would change to life in prison so it was more of a formal process whereas in America correct me if I'm wrong I'd like to know your opinion on this um, you send for an appeal if it's granted it's done that's that is that the procedure or is there a different method to how you go about it do you know there's so many different kinds of appeals and things. I've got, uh -huh. I still haven't wrapped my head around it all because there's so many different kinds. <laughs> That's crazy. And I've got so many people in the, like the different stages of different appeals. But you can ap ap obviously appeal to local federal courts. You can ap appeal to the Supreme Courts. And it's just if they get accepted, then you sort of move up to the next round. I think it's very, very hard to get off of death row once you're there. But it's a good thing, I believe. In terms of what? In terms of just not being on death row. Right. Well, yeah, obviously. I don't think anyone would want to be on there, but <laughs> the fact that they are, it's a very unfortunate circumstance. Mm. Unless it's a person who's massacred 120 people or 180 people like some prisoners have, then they're on death row, then I believe that's deserved. But that's a matter of opinion. Yeah. I, I, still, wouldn't, I still wouldn't believe that. That's okay. Matter <laughs> of perspective. Yeah. Matter of perspective. And... One last statistic I want to bring up with you before we get into the juicy stuff that everyone wants to hear. Yes. Um, over of those of that statistic I mentioned, uh, the two thousand five hundred inmates on death row mm -hmm. in October twenty twenty, uh, there were over two thousand five hundred. So, over two thousand five hundred of those 
were male. Yes. 51 of them were female. Yes. 51 out of over 2,500 were female. Yes. What do you think that says? Um, You've got, I think it's obviously disproportionately applied to men. Um, Women in the, women in the criminal justice system on, in itself is just a, a magical mystery ride, as I like to call it, because it's just not, you've got to be the worst of the worst for a female. You've got to have done some horrific things to be the, in that place. Whereas I think it's more acceptable for men to be there um, from society's perspective. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's normalized for men to be there. But when women are there, it's a shock. Like the 51 yeah. is a shock. It's crazy. 51 out of over 2,500. What would it What would it take for a woman to get on death row? You speak of the worst of the worst, like raping a man. Like, what would it, what would it take? Um, I know a, ca- a case. Um, a woman in Texas is on there for murder, and she obviously murdered a lady, a pregnant lady, and um, cut out the fetus. And this was quite late into the pregnancy, so the the baby. A, like survived initially because the lady was trying to pass this baby off as her own um, but obviously was caught up because she did in fact kidnap and murder this lady to sort of gain this child but the child later on died as well which was quite sad that is insane mm-hmm. sickening too as well mm-hmm. my god wow and do you know what happened D- did she get executed or she's still on there she's, she's actually there. a she's claiming innocence so her appeals are quite lengthy. She's been on there for a while. Um, and she's also a British citizen. Really? Yeah. Casting a bad name. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that is insane. The, see, that's what I'm, I'm fascinated by. The fact that you're desensitised to that sort of thing is just mesmerising. <laughs> and I assume to a lot of listeners who are tuning in now, you've, you've realised the true extent of what death row is and the inmates that, are, that exist on there, the crimes they've committed... It's the fact that you can become desensitized to that. The psychology behind that mm-hmm. is what I find fascinating. Yeah. And where, how long did it take you to become desensitized to it? I think sort of straight away. I, the first person I wrote to actually um, was accused of killing a prison guard. So it, I, I class that as one of the regulars. Hmm. So it's quite normalized compared to obviously the previous story I told. Um, and then I not got they've gotten worse and worse but i've obviously had worse cases if i'm comparing them and i've just sort of over time not sort of battered an eyelid over them it's just i i've i it doesn't nothing really phases me anymore i suppose it's subjective as well yeah everyone has their own experience everyone's mm-hmm. desensitized to certain things wow okay Whew. <laughs> jesus you've got a little weirdo on your podcast today. yeah a little bit that's nah, all right it's fascinating and i and it's something that I don't think is tackled often it's a very sensitive subject so before we do get into any of the juicy details and the relatively morbid details um, it would be safe to just add a little warning to anyone who's tuning in we are going to be discussing um, some distressing things so if you are sensitive to these two distressing material I would advise that you either click off the podcast or you watch it with uh, with moderation so all right, what I want to know first and foremost is what is in your six years of writing to inmates the scariest story that has made your skin crawl? See, I, I'd say it doesn't make my skin crawl, but when people ask me about the things that I do and what they consider, what do you consider the worst thing, um, is I guess a gentleman, as I call him, in Indiana um, committed, he, he was he was either high on meth or he was withdrawing from meth. So he goes to a house and knocks on the door and his thing was if someone answers the door, he asks them to use their phone or whatever. But if no one answers, he robs the house. Um, a little girl answered the door and he like obviously asked her to get her mum and then he did try and sexually assault the lady um, but he said he couldn't go through with it. So he instead he murdered them both by slitting their throats. So he slit this, I think she's 26, she was 26 years old, and the four-year-old girl's throat. 
um, because he thought that would be easier. Then what? Because then, then no one the would house? find out. And then obviously he was caught and convicted. And then I guess he's but since been found quite mentally ill. He's a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, I, I get letters from him and they're not very coherent, but I, I still enjoy talking to him because I know that not many people do because of what he's done. Um, and his sentence has been commuted to life without parole for yeah. those reasons. What state was he in? Indiana. Indiana, I see. And it, the, so he's, he did that and his sentence got changed to life without parole. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's justified? Yes. Why? Because I do not believe in the death penalty whatsoever. At all? At all. Any, under any circumstances? No circumstances. Okay. And people always ask, they always say, oh, what if someone killed a family member, would you justify it then? And I always say no, because it's... I'm not saying they go scots-free without punishment, it's just I don't believe they should die for a crime. So you don't believe in an eye for an eye? No, because then I'd sort of carry the quote on, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Mm, I see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. But there is mm, there's an element to that story that is more important, I think. Why why he felt that he needed to go to a st to an extent of murder. Mm -hmm. When I assume he's done that before. I assume he's robbed houses before. He's done that yes. plenty of times. Why that moment? Why that family? Why that time? Why did he? Why did he do that? Did you talk to him? Mm -hmm. And did he give you any reasoning or any justification as to why he did what he did? No. So I don't often talk about their crimes with them. But right. I have obviously told them. I've obviously googled what they've done just out of curiosity because I'm quite nosy. Mm -hmm. I like to know what's going on. As um, you should be. Yeah. <laughs> and. There is actually a documentary on him as well, but we can get to that a bit later because it's quite a good one. Okay. Um, he, he's, like I say, his letters aren't very coherent. So I'll ask, oh, how has your day been? What have you been up to? How's Lucky? He's he's got a cat called Lucky, by the way. Um, ah. Which is which is quite unusual. I think Indiana allowed this, obviously, death row inmates to have these pets because they were purely rescue animals and they were gonna die anyway. Mm -hmm. And obviously, only certain inmates get them. Are you allowed? In, are you allowed pets on death row? Mm -hmm. In Indiana, you, you are. Really? Yeah. Is it a uh, luxury for certain states to have that, or is it a state? One state has it, another state doesn't, etc. Et I think it depends on state. I'm not sure about other states, but I know Texas don't allow it. I know Florida don't allow it. Um, right. I can assume quite a few don't allow it, but I don't know. Every state works differently. I suppose they will have their different. They do, yeah. they do, <laughs> indeed. And one thing I wanted to branch off of that is, uh, in terms of the states and the prisons they have, Yes. one prison um, that houses a lot of inmates awaiting execution is San Quentin. Mm -hmm. You're familiar with it, I assume? Yeah. Have you spoken to anyone from San Quentin? Yes. You have? Yeah. So, for those of you that don't know, San Quentin is essentially labelled the arena. And... It's labelled the arena because a lot of inmates, yes, are awaiting execution, but they take the execution upon themselves and they kill people. The inmates kill each other when they're in when they're in the uh, what's it called hangout spot playground sort of thing. The playground. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. The courtyard. Courtyard. That's it. Um, and it's a place that's notorious for housing the most notorious killers, and it's. It's a very, very, very dark place. One of the darkest prisons to exist in America. Absolutely. You have talked to one person, two, how many people? Um, one. This one. was years and years ago. Do you remember it? Um, I think he killed a homeless person in a bar fight. In a bar fight? Yeah. Was it manslaughter or was it murder? Murder. It was definitely murder. Yeah. So he had the intention. Yeah. Right. And what, what, he was sentenced to life. He was sentenced to death, or sentenced to life. He's. I think. I do believe he's still there. I do sometimes have a little Google and search on people that I have previously spoken to, just just to see how they're doing. Just I because, see. again, I am nosy. Nosy, nosy. Yeah. Nosy Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to see what's going on. Um, he's still there. But San Quentin, in its own, is just even with obviously they house death death row inmates, but they house regular inmates as well, and it's just one of the worst prisons in the United States ever overpopulated it's 
Yeah. One of the worst. It is. It's overpopulated men and women. I mm-hmm. believe there's a separate institution for women as well. Uh, they housed men and women separately, I think. I I believe they do. Um, so they keep them separate. What is a story that you've been told that makes you shed a tear? Like a deeply personal story, pers- a story that tugs on your heartstrings a little. Um, so nothing, obviously nothing phases me anymore, but it's always the backgrounds of the killers that get me because they've always had such troubled lives and plagued with abuse and mental illness and things like that. And I just think if those things were not in place, these things would not have happened and they would not be in the place that they are. And I just, it just sort of makes me sad that they've gone through all that and they've sort of not been conditioned, but in their own experiences have been sort of conditioned into committing these things. And I know obviously people can be abused, people can have mental illness and not commit these crimes, but it's, it's, it's quite sad when Do I hear of the backgrounds of those people. Do you notice a pattern with any of them, with inmates that you've spoken to? Is there a pattern in terms of who they are, the crimes they commit, the background? Uh, maybe they've been abused sexually, maybe they've been assaulted or verbally assaulted in, in their childhood, maybe they've been outcasts. Is there a certain pattern you notice with these inmates or is everyone different in their own way? I think everyone's different in their own way. There is a, quite a handful of um, inmates that I speak to that obviously do have mental illness, who do have suffered from physical abuse, from sexual abuse, and it, it just really depends on each person. But I do know that there are people that obviously do not have these issues and are still there as well. Gotcha. And these, these stories that you mentioned on the, on the background of reading them, mm-hmm. is there one that sticks in your mind that you just, you know, you just latch onto? You know how people have selective memories? Like you just remember weird things in your life, like the time that you stole some sweets from the sweet shop when you was a kid. And <laughs> it's just like a s- selective memory that just sticks with you. You have no idea why it sticks with you, but it sticks. Is there a background that you remember to any one of those inmates that you wrote to that just sticks with you? So I'll, I'll talk, I'll, I'll name this guy as well, because I, I don't like naming them often, but I reckon from a quick Google search from what they've done, you can probably figure out who's who. Um, but there was a guy called Robert Pruitt. Um, he, he was in Texas. He just had the most horrific childhood. Um, his father was in and out of prison. He's in prison still now. Um, and he was forced to smoke drugs at quite a young age. He was sort of huffing track to petrol at, at five years old. Um, and he was obviously living in poverty. His family didn't have a lot of money, so they had to sort of go dumpster diving. And it just sort of made me so sad because he's sort of been conditioned in this way to be brought up this way. Um, and he, he was sentenced to 99 years in prison yes. at the age of 15. Um, mm. And he's for the murder his father committed and he was present for it. Um, his father got a life sentence, his brother got 40 years and he got 99 um, when he was 15 years old. So imagine like being a 15 year old boy and you're sent to an adult prison and you've just got to deal with it for 99 years. It also mentioned that the father testified that neither son took part in the killing. Yeah. And they still got convicted under the Texas law. Yeah. Uh, the Texas law of parties, I believe. Yeah. And the fact that he was brought up around so so much badness and morbidity and, and just harrowing, distressing things that no child should see, do you believe solely and truly that that is what made him a killer? I think so. I think the way he's been obviously brought up and the things he's been brought up around... Um, and there, there is obviously evidence of physical abuse, mm. and there is, um, there's. I say rumors. Um, there has been people to say that he has been sexually abused as well, and he obviously went into prison and was then convicted of killing a prison guard when he was, I think, twenty two, twenty two. Yeah, so Pruitt. Yeah, Robert Pruitt. Yeah, he uh, he was convicted and executed for the 1999 murder of a correctional officer by the name of Daniel Nagel and uh, that was in B County so yes there was uh, the information is correct and he did he was on Texas death row 
in Livingston as as well as his time there he received four stays of execution so uh, for those of you who don't know what that means it essentially means that his execution was delayed and eventually he did he was executed when was he executed do you know 2017 I do believe 20, yes October October yeah. 2017 yeah he was also represented by the Innocence Network I want to ask you these uh, projects that are set up, mm -hmm. the Innocence Networks, um, there's many other many others, I don't know the name of them, maybe you know, but um, there's many Innocence Projects and Innocence Partnerships that represent people on death row. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that they, that they are doing everything they can to represent the people that are on death row, to represent the inmates? I would like to believe that they do, because I feel like they do a, a good job of what they do. And a lot of inmates are, obviously, when they have no funding, which is more often than not, um, that's why you end up on death row. Because if you've got money in the States, you, you can you can get away with a lot of stuff. You think you can buy your freedom? Yes, absolutely. If, if these people had money, they would not be where they are. Um, but he, obviously, they have no money to represent themselves. So this is the next best thing. And they hopefully are getting represented to the best of these these lawyers ability because I, that, I'd like to believe that they're doing good I don't want to believe that they're not <laughs> but then again arguably you know you know some of their life you know mm -hmm. for example you know some of Pruitt's life mm -hmm. you don't know the whole of his life so yeah. you'd like to believe he's good based on what he's told you right How, do, you, do you take what's been written to you with a pinch of salt yes um, I do know that not everyone's innocent mm. and I get told that a lot that obviously people do lie and I'm aware that people lie but in this case especially um, and there is this is the documentary that I mentioned he is in one of those um, so that's a good watch just to get a bit of background information but he comes across very well um, and his story is sort of corroborated by family members lawyers and things like that and it's I just think he's wholeheartedly telling the truth and I do believe he was innocent and I do believe he was executed for the wrong the reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Robert Lynn Pruitt, he were, he did die by lethal injection in October 2017. The There were appeals to the Texas Board uh, of Pardons which were rejected and he was in fact represented by the Texas Innocence Network. So his attorneys did obviously pursue his case and they did try to challenge it, but do you yeah. feel like the, te the state of Texas is rigid in its own sense? Yes, I think the, they're very set in their ways. Mm. I don't want to offend anyone from Texas, but <laughs> they are very set in their ways and they... Traditional. Traditional, yeah, I think. Um, and that tradition goes back years and years and years. And I, I don't think, especially for Texas, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon because they like their freedom. Yes, they do. And they like to buy their freedom, unfortunately. Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. But yes, you're, obviously we can't speak for all Texans. So uh, to any Texans listening to this, we <laughs> do not speak to represent any of you. <laughs> we only speak to perhaps slightly degrade the Texan uh, judicial system. But anyway, um, so... One thing I wanted to ask as well is this idea of learning. So mm -hmm. writing to these inmates, you've learned a lot about them. Oh, absolutely. Right? You've learned life details, uh, murder details, if they've ever disclosed anything to you. I assume there's NDAs involved and all that stuff. But you've learned a lot. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about yourself through writing these letters? I feel like I've become such a tolerant person. And now people that know me in real life probably don't believe that but I have become quite tolerant and quite open to people um, and their experiences and it's sort of allowed me to be less judgmental towards people because I know that everyone's got their stories um, and everyone has a background you've just got to learn you've just got to listen what would you say to people who are quite close-minded and turn easily to overthinking or fear of judgment in social situations I think Sometimes you just, I, I can be like that in social situations. I can be quite nervous in real life social situations, but you've just got to push through and hope for the best. 
Wise words. I like, <laughs> I like that. Short and sweet, but wise words. I like it. That's good. And this, in terms of your personality, mm-hmm. you've learned a lot. When you have these, uh, when you write these letters, and you feel physically, what what do you feel physically when you write these letters or when you receive them? For example, when you receive a letter from an inmate, you open it up and you're like, oh, oh shit, this is a, this is a letter from an inmate. Okay. Fuck. What do you feel in your body? What, what's the sensations? I just feel, I, I like getting letters and mail anyway. So <laughs> when I get a letter and obviously see it's it's stamped, it's come from the US and obviously they've got their name on the front and they've got my name on the front. I know who it's from. And I'm like, I, I, I'm quite excited to receive those letters and I'm quite excited to receive the emails. And I just think it's when that notification pops up, I'm like, oh, I'm just excited. Cause I, it's not, I say it's not very often that I get to speak to them. It's not as often as I wish. Obviously, it's not like a Facebook message. It's not no. like an Instagram DM that you can just send <laughs> back and forth. Yo, how you doing? What's up? <laughs> yeah. What's good? It's, it's, it, it takes a while, especially in, obviously, physical letters. It will take, say, like three to four weeks for me to receive or reply. I see. Is there a certain process it goes through, like through customs or through um, any process? I think, obviously, every piece of mail they receive is screened right. for obvious reasons. Yes, of course. Um, and obviously because it's got to fly over to the States first, it takes quite a while. Yeah. Obviously they've got to read and reply to it and then it's got to obviously be checked on the way out. It's a lot of checks. Yeah, it seems to be. Yeah. yeah. More than sending over any like hoodie to America, I, there's a, I assume there's a much, much more detailed process. Yes. And they check, I believe, at the border if you're writing to a prison then they take it even further. They check They check even further. They do additional checks, I assume. They just sort of, they obviously, nothing's private in these letters. Obviously, everyone's going to read them. Do um, they? Yeah, they get read before they get sort of dished out to inmates. Really? Yeah. Ooh. So even Is if, that not innovation of privacy, though? I guess, but it's obviously for good reasons. I could, I'm not sending these things, but it could yeah. be sending illegal substances in there or potentially harassing material of other potential inmates so I could be bitching about. Right. So you're not allowed to trash talk? Um, I guess not. (laughs) Not that I ever have. (laughs) But I couldn't say, so-and-so says this about you and it could cause further issues. Or I could say, I don't know, get the guard whoever's on the shift. Right. Do you know any of them personally? Any other guards? Any other guards? Yeah. Mm-hmm. At any of the institutions? No, no, unfortunately not. That's all right. Oh, you know the you know the important ones, the yeah. inmates. <laughs> and these this mention you have of uh, Robert Pruitt, the whole element of his story is based on his innocence. Yes. The whole element of why you wrote to him is based on your belief, your true and heartfelt belief in his innocence. Yes. Is there, or have there been? any inmates where you believe they've been wrongly incarcerated for whatever reason based on their innocence I think that obviously Robert Pruitt especially he was incarcerated first for 99 years yes for a murder he did not commit um subjectively he he was there he I guess he he deserved some years but his brother got 40 years I don't understand why he didn't get 40 years as well like it's not fairly charged in this case should make a freedom of information request to the court and ask for the details <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm i'm too invested in this case still really it, yeah it's even still buggy. yeah it still bugs me every single day really yeah i also um which people find very very weird um i've got his last words tattooed on my rib cage no way uh-huh. do you actually yeah <gasps> what were his last words uh love light it's forever who knew that could be so beautiful? Yeah. Love light forever. It's forever. Love light it's forever. If it was something nonsensical and silly, I don't think I would have got no, it. No, of course. It's... Why do you feel such a sense of attachment to Pruitt? I just think we were... The innocence, that's what drew me in. But this is... Obviously, I'd been thinking about doing this for years. I was a weird kid, so I've, I've got weird hobbies. Um, Who wasn't, though? <laughs> <laughs> it's something I'd always wanted to do. But, like, as a kid, you're like, what do you want to do when you grow up? It's not right to death row inmates. It's, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> in some cases, yeah. 
it's never something this strange but it just sort of still gets me every single day that, that he was executed for something that he didn't do gotcha it, yeah there would be a there would be a very large sense of attachment i think if i was in your position i don't know if i'd get a tattoo of what he said but i would feel a great sense of attachment as well yeah. so i understand it sympathy wise empathy wise there is a lot to be said yeah for his murder and for well for the murder he committed and for the murder of Pruitt himself yeah there is a lot to be said but mm -hmm. as i was mentioning is there anyone else that you feel has been wrongly incarcerated i think um there is a guy called austin myers shout out to austin because i did tell shout him out to austin i did tell him to i did tell him i was coming on a podcast so he knows i'm here really yeah oh shout out austin <laughs> big up austin if I you're listening to this <laughs> i don't think he can get i don't know where this is being broadcasted but i feel like he might not be able to access it maybe you <laughs> but, never know <laughs> you never know they might have some leeway but he knows i'm here austin um, myers mm -hmm. i see okay could you tell me about austin myers he is he's quite young as well he is I, i'm going to say he is 26 so he's only a few years older than me and he's been there since he was 18. yes which is kind of sucky but he i say he doesn't deserve this he i wholeheartedly believe he doesn't but he did partake in the crime so i don't think he should be on death row but i'm not saying that there shouldn't be any punishment whatsoever and there was um, his co-defendant who did get sentenced to life without parole for testifying, even though he was um, committed of the murder of a mutual friend, Justin Back. Yes, Justin Back and the co-conspirator um, co was Timothy Mosley. Uh, it was Timothy Mosley and Austin Myers who uh, allegedly killed Justin Back. And it says... Austin Austin Myers wanted to wanted to shoot the body so after Mosley went out of the home um, after Mosley went out of the home and grabbed a gun Austin would shoot the body twice before the gun jammed on the third shot the casing was ejected and would later be found by the police so he's not completely innocent no he's not completely innocent at all I don't I don't believe he's completely innocent I believe he did partake in the crime but is it justified to send him to death row for that because killings happen every day. Mm -hmm. Killings happen every day in the US. And economically, I don't think it would be very viable to send every person who kills to death row because you have to pay tax and you have to pay uh, fees. You have to pay accommodation stuff for the, for the inmates. It's you have expensive. To pay, yeah, you have to pay to keep them on death row. So is it like, economically viable? No. But morally, how do you feel this murder sits with you um i still don't believe he should be where he is um i think it's i say unfair i think it's unjust that he is on death row whilst his co-conspirator is um had received life without parole mm. which might seem to some people like the worst option because you're in prison for life and you do not get parole hence the life without parole but it's better than death row conditions i believe and both end in the same result, but I do not believe that Austin should be where he is for what happened. Precisely. And Timothy was sentenced to life in prison mm -hmm. for the same thing. Yes. They're both involved in the same crime, yet Timothy was sentenced to life and um, Austin was, was sentenced to death. Mm -hmm. He still remains on Ohio death row. Does Ohio have any uh, like different procedures or luxuries for inmates? Um, not really. Ohio is quite a, I say a sleepy state with this. They do not have many executions at the moment. They do quite, they schedule them quite often, um, but they never take place because of the legalities and they can't get hold of the drugs because no one wants to supply them to anyone for the reason that they need them for. Um, and it's just all the appeals and things um, just sort of outweigh it. So everyone receives a stay of execution in this yeah, so I Austin actually did have an execution date for 2022, so next year. Oh, um, okay. But it says on the website that I follow um, that it's been removed, mm. which is 
I see it as good, but I also see it as it's quite bad that they've that it it's been on there for a few years, so it's been he's he's known about it for a couple of years now, but obviously it's been removed, and I just think that's quite unfair. It's unfair that. as well as the anticipation, like yeah, you're on death row. The anticipation of knowing you're going to die. That's it. That's just I can't imagine anything more dark than that. Like it. Can you imagine yourself? in worst case scenario <laughs> obviously mm-hmm. um on death row awaiting execution do you think you'd be able to handle the pressure of knowing you're going to die and just live every day waiting for death i don't think i'd be able to do it i would not be able to do that i just it's the uncertainty and the not knowing about when you're going to die yeah i just think i wouldn't be able to do it do the prisoners not get told either oh they get told um but they can they can have an execution day like in Texas it can be sort of whipped up within like 60 days and it's like surprise two months time you're gonna die you've got time to appeal it but will it go through I don't know who knows and that's the trouble with it appeals take a long time to go through Mm -hmm. in in, I think in any state they take a long time to go through yeah especially considering the amount of prisoners there are over 2,000 appeal for every single one of those prisoners would not go through very quickly so it does take its time even without appeals it still takes quite a long time Really? Yeah. Um. So, I always speak about this documentary because it's one of my favorite things to watch. But Austin was also on that. What is the name of this documentary, by the way? Uh, it's called Life and Death Row. It's on BBC iPlayer. Life on Death Row. Life That's and on Net- Death Row. That's on Netflix as well, I think. Is it not? No. Oh, there is something on Netflix along the same name. <laughs> but Life and Life and Death Row on BBC iPlayer. Mm-hmm. Check it out, guys. Life and Death Row, BBC iPlayer. But there was another guy on there from Texas. Mm-hmm. His name was Daniel Lopez. I haven't actually spoken to this guy. I'll just speak about his case. But he sort of obviously was on death row and he refused all of his appeals. Didn't want any of them. And it still took about seven years for him to be executed, even with no appeals. <laughs> yeah. Seven? Really? Mm-hmm. Why so long? I don't know. Like, if he's refused all his appeals, there should be, they should be like, right, okay time to go because that's what he's chosen he's chosen for his appeals to not go through because that's the end goal that he wants he just wants to get it over with mm-hmm. see that's what I don't understand I I don't understand if you're going to sentence someone to death you are going to sentence them to death go through a prioritisation order the first person who's sentenced do it second person do it third person do it why keep staying it unless there's an appeal lodged unless an, inno- an innocence project represents you and it goes through and everything goes well then fair enough you have, to, you have to take that person off the list and then you have to give them a later date etc but if you know there's a death date coming up for that person why do people just delay why do they delay it what, you've, you've sentenced them to death already go through with it as dark as that sounds and apologies but it's like is it not common sense in a sense in a way like you've sentenced them to death you've given them you've given them penalty like unless it's conditional bail or unless it's unconditional bail or something like that or a suspended bail or whatever name of it is equivalent uh, in america and they're sent to prison okay fair enough but why do you think they why do you think they do that why do you think they suspend it or give them stays constantly 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 i think in some cases just to obviously look at further evidence and testing and obviously to see the appeals and the mitigating circumstances behind appeals but i do believe in some ways that it's it's just to fuck with them i i i I believe that you really think it is and obviously obviously the government can obviously back it up and say that this this isn't true and they've got evidence for it but i do believe that that they do it just to mess with people a little bit i guess for what they've done hmm so, taking into account everything we've already discussed, the mm-hmm. uh, prejudices, the uh, morbidity, the trauma, the distress, the hardships that they face, as I mentioned before, the statistic uh, of the African Americans, there were one. There's over one thousand African Americans. There's one thousand white. Uh, over well, over one thousand white people. Sorry about that. Um, over one thousand white people on death row as well. What what would you say in terms of how the American judicial system can rectify the apparent institutional racism that is already weaved into the system? 
it's hard because it's always going to be there as sad as it is um and i can't speak from experience because i am white so i know nothing about this and i can't talk for anyone about this but i know that it's always going to exist and i know that they could begin by just simple things like jury selection i think obviously juries hold a lot of bias as to when african-american defendants come into play and it's a term called bleaching the jury as it were when most of the jury members are white which is problematic in itself because that poses their own prejudices on defendants Um, does that happen in most states it happens you they can say it doesn't but you know it does you know it happens in all states particularly southern states at best because they've got a, a rampant history with. What would you say if um, what would you say the vision would be if some of the states mentioned in the South, for example, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, if they had black governors or um, African American mayors in any respect, mm-hmm. how do you think the system would change? I think in itself it gives people role models. There's not a lot of people in government. I say there's not a lot of people, that's quite a sweeping statement, but there's not enough people of colour in government, in big political parties and big sort of jobs that obviously show other youngsters role models and obviously why they shouldn't commit such crimes Mm. and obviously resources and things like that that just are necessary for this to be prevented which I think if people of color, more people of colour were in power, um, in powerful positions, then it would allow for... I, I don't know. It, it, I can speak... I can't speak for anyone, but I think that that would be a starting point if there were more in sort of big paid jobs because it shows that you can. And big positions of power. Yeah. That so going against bleaching the jury and actually having... <clears throat> equal representation in terms of uh, African-American jury candidates, African-American governors. Yes. I, I believe there's only two two black governors uh, that exist in the US, and that is a highly disproportionate number considering there's over 45, 48 other uh, governors who I believe are white, and that in itself, the fact that African males are underrepresented, that mm-hmm. they're looked over, that they're underrated, that they don't give... They're not given the same airtime as white male jury members. Yes. Is completely disproportionate. How does that affect the inmates? How does that affect, uh, in your opinion, their sentences? Um, I believe that, obviously, um, they're more likely to receive the death penalty. I think it's like four times more likely if they are um, African-American compared to being white. Um, I'm not speaking for any other race because I haven't seen many statistics, but I can probably take a guess that it's disproportionately applied to, especially in the southern states close to the border, um, to Hispanic males in particular. Um, but I just think that it's the, especially the jury that got their own prejudices, and people say that they don't, but they do. Of course. Um, They're human. Yeah. Of course they do. And that they obviously apply it unfairly mm. um, obviously a lot of prosecutors are white also so they apply that unfairly a, a lot of judges are obviously white and unfairly putting sentences down and obviously the jury itself voting for these harsher sentences could be implicated because of their race of course completely agree and is there is is there an inmate perhaps that sticks out where they've been unfairly represented or they've given a sentence just based off of their race that you've talked to? Um, not personally, but I know you that know it, 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 it happens. It, it happens. happens. Um, I was reading about a case for my presentation, actually, um, about a gentleman that um, he was found at the scene of a crime um, killing a mother and daughter. He didn't actually... He's proclaiming innocence, but he, but he was seen trying to help them and a white police officer saw that and obviously thought the worst put two and two together and made seven and Hmm. arrested them and now they're on death row and fighting their case it's like a it's stop and searches that occur the most 
mm -hmm. I think, with African Americans, and then they they get wrongly incarcerated. Yes, that's that's generally what tends to happen. Mm -hmm. Stop and search is also quite prevalent in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, it's mainly for UK audiences. For some American audiences, you may not know what the terms mean, but it's generally roadmen and people who dress in tracksuits, hoodies up at night, wearing black bum bags or something like that. Yes. And they sometimes, sometimes don't carry illegal things. And they get stopped in search. But there are other times when it's just their fashion. That's just how they dress. That's just how they want to dress. Yeah. And that's totally cool and they can do that. But because they're black and because they're wearing a tracksuit and because they fit the stereotypical description, they get stopped and searched mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. And that in itself is institutionalized, I believe. Mm -hmm. I believe that's rooted in the system because that's how the police are taught to see like kids our age and yeah. minors. So is that the same case in America, do you believe? Do you believe that it's heightened or do you believe it's maybe a little bit less aggressive? I think uh, particularly our stop and search policy, which is utter garbage, no offense. <laughs> yes. Um, it's unfairly... Um, placed upon people that are dressed in a certain way and who look in a certain way and I think obviously in America that's more prevalent and with armed police officers I don't think that's a good idea because when you get stopped and searched you get shot in all cases not in all cases but in a lot of cases and we can see it in the news it's on on the rise and obviously more and more African Americans are being shot are being killed because of the race this is true and this goes have you heard of uh, Brian Stevenson no Brian Stevenson uh, he's a, an American lawyer he, there was a film made about him called Just Mercy mm -hmm. I think that's really what propelled my fascination with uh, with death row and with inmates and wrong incarceration the film Just Mercy is about Brian Stevenson who is played by Michael B. Jordan and he represents a client called Walter McMillian. And Walter McMillian is played by Jamie Foxx. He was condemned for killing a woman, I believe. It was either, I think it was in broad daylight. And the real killer uh, was not Walter McMillian. He was innocent. Um, there was plenty of information and corroboration to support his claim, to support his appeal. And Brian Stevenson thought, uh, thought, fought for Walter and he won his case um, sorry if that spoils the movie for anyone who wants to see it mm -hmm. but um, yes so he fights for the case and Brian Stevenson he set up a foundation the Equal Justice Initiative which um, has I believe oh, actually I can't say the number it's, um, it's freed a considerable number of death row inmates who are African American and wrongly incarcerated mm -hmm. and Brian Stevenson's story sticks out to me because uh, because I believe he claimed as well he's been stopped and searched. He's been through this. He knows himself firsthand. And it's very difficult, I think, for white people to comment on that. Yes. It's, it's very difficult. We, we, can't, we can't say this is this, this is that. We don't know. We, we will never know. No. We will never know what it's like. But for moving forward in terms of the future... Are there any procedures or things we can put in place as a society, both in the UK and in the US, to improve on the on the unjust incarceration of African American males and females? I think to begin with, it's it's just about education. I think everyone's always going to have their biases, but even at school, as this obviously years and years ago now. Yeah. I'm an old lady. Oh come on! Now. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, even at school, no, I didn't get taught about these things. You've got to learn for yourself, and obviously, you learn from your parents. And I, I do not speak to my father, so I will not say nice things about him. But he was, a, he was a racist guy, and I didn't grow up around it because my mum, bless her soul, is not racist in the slightest inclination. But having to obviously not learning things in school about these things, but getting that from home and obviously having to learn for myself. I know a lot of people won't be able to do that and they just sort of follow the parents, as it were. But 
it's, it's all about education. I think it needs to be taught in schools um, how what, what racism is to begin with and how it's unfairly applied and across jobs, education especially, because I, that poses its own risk, um, work, and literally anything. It, it starts with education. I it, believe so. And it, it results in protest as well, like Black Lives Matter. Yes. It, it seeps through and culturally it becomes much more prevalent and prominent in a society that really needs that education and deserves yeah. it. So we are moving in the right direction, I believe. Slow but sure, baby steps. And there are, to an extent, a counter argument for what you say could be that it is taught in schools. It pe like teachers do have policies and they treat students fairly and there's equal policies and equal conducts and all that stuff. But really, is that just a gateway to s sell people to attend, sell children to attend the school? That's true. It's, I think it's something that has to be definitely taken into account. Yeah. That we take everything with a pinch of salt, just like you take the letters that you receive with a pinch of salt from the inmates, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it sucks. <laughs> it really fucking sucks. It really does. Yeah, it's all about education, I think. Even in schools, even in like the workplace, because th there are certain professions, let's say, that are known to be racist, like yes. the police, um, yes. that could obviously not prevent their prejudices, but stop the prejudices if they just were educated on matters. More so than they already are. Yes. Agreed. There needs to be more education in place for people. You heard it here first. <laughs> Final question I wanted to ask you. What would you like to do in the future working with these inmates? You mentioned to me you'd like to take this on in the future and you'd like yeah. to make more of it. Could you clarify and elaborate on what you mean? So uh, my original plan was obviously to move to the States. Um, that's still my plan. That's what I'd like to do after I finish this degree. Where to? Um, probably Texas, known as the Really? Denver. Yeah. Death Row Capital. Jesus Christ. I've, I really playing with your life, aren't you? <laughs> You're really playing with your life. <laughs> I've, I, it's got to be done. It's where the work is needed the uh, most. Okay. I'd like to work in one of the Innocence Networks because I, I would like to work in a prison or to help these inmates on death row and eventually work towards abolishing it. I'm not going to do that by myself. So no. if anyone wants to help, that would be great. <laughs> there you go. Poll up. Poll up. <laughs> everyone we need to get together. That's it. She needs the help, all the help we can get. Yes. Can it carry on? But I did I did turn down a job offer at a prison here. Did um, you? Yeah. Oh. I well, I was already at uni at this time. So I I applied to be a prison guard. Um and I didn't get accepted, but I applied for a different job previously at the prison. It's called operational support. Mm. Um basically security and things. Not that I look like security at all i beg to differ <laughs> i think you could i think you, you could be intimidating in your own way <laughs> i could be so. toppled over <laughs> <laughs> so just one push and i'll be down on the oh floor. come on now like a little flower plant that's it oh sorry <laughs> sorry didn't mean that <laughs> <laughs> that's true though but I, I remember i was sat here and i i didn't get the job so i was like okay i'll just apply to uni instead um that's how i'm here mm. <laughs> but I got a call when I was, I think it was at the beer garden with some friends and they said, oh, we've offered you this job. And I was like, oh damn, I can't accept it because I'm at university now. No. But if I would have got that call, say two weeks earlier, I would have took the job, I wouldn't have been here. Really? Yeah, absolutely. That's so crazy. <laughs> so one, that's so crazy how just, how you can take one decision and then if, like thinking about it, if you took a decision before that, your whole life changes. Yeah. Like hey, your whole life changes. That's the craziest thing in the world. I'm very impulsive. I was like, I, I, it was on the train home because I had to travel for the interview. I had to travel to London actually um, for this interview. Hmm. And um, obviously they, they told me on the day I didn't get it. So on the train home, I applied for uni. <laughs> really? And then like a week later I came here. You applied for uni on the train? Mm-hmm. Guys, there is absolutely no excuse for anyone who doesn't know how or where to apply for uni. If Ellie can apply to uni on a train, you can do it wherever you are. Doesn't matter where, all right? If I can, if I can write my personal statement on a half an hour train journey, sorry, University of Essex, if that's how you know now how I've done my personal statement. The secrets come out. But that's how I did it. And if you, I can do it, you can do it as well. There come on, guys. Go. I love that. I love that. Encouragement. Gather together. So what is it exactly that you want to do? You want to work in, in a initiative or an innocence network or a project? 
Um, so wherever they'll take me. Okay. Um, but hopefully it won't come to it. But I want to open my own one if, if I'm allowed wow. as a British citizen, because I don't, I, I don't, haven't researched too much into it. But I'd like to do that, but I don't know if they'd allow me to. What would you do if you could work in the UK and you could open your own initiative or your own justice network? Would you? What would you fight for? Um, I don't know because the British legal system is very, very different, yeah. and I'm not as clued up in it as I am the US. So well, you're I'd... an American study student, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd prefer to go stateside, which I will eventually do, and hopefully they'll accept me. That is incredible. <laughs> I love that passion, power, dreams. I love it. That is incredible. She's got dreams, everyone. She's got dreams. She's got dreams. <laughs> and they will never die. Thank you so I much. Could. Honestly, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Ellie, for You're joining welcome. me. Anytime. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. All right. So, everyone, I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast and, of course, taken lessons from it, taken inspiration, and it has been as informative for you as it has for me. Thank you again, Ellie, for joining us today. You're it was welcome. Absolute pleasure. And I look forward to talking to you guys on the next podcast. My name is Nathan Malore. This is the Sunset Series. Goodbye.